How are we supposed to act when things go wrong? What if we had nothing to do to cause the problems that plague us? How can we help others who are going through a hard time? Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran with Bible 805, where you learn to know, trust, and apply the Bible. I have answers to these questions and many more in our lesson today entitled, How to Respond When Your World is Falling Apart, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Obadiah. For centuries, God's been patient with his people, but now things are totally falling apart. After repeatedly sending prophets to his people to remind them of the covenant he made with them, where they accepted his salvation and promised to obey his commands, and of their failure to do what they promised or to listen to the warnings of the prophets, it's time for judgment. It had come for the northern kingdom when Assyria took them into captivity, and now time is almost up for the southern kingdom. Now, the history gets really complex here, and I made a chart for you to show you the actually the five final kings, Josiah, who is the last really good and independent king who ruled over in Judah. Now, Jeremiah starts preaching when he becomes king, but then there are four kings that follow him. They're his sons and his grandson. And I created this chart for you. If you're just listening to the podcast, well, not just listening, bless you if you're listening to the podcast, um, please do go to the website to see it because this is really confusing. And I have to admit, over years of studying it, it wasn't until I put together this chart that it really made sense to me. But here's how it worked out. Josiah dies. He made a very foolish mistake by deciding to confront Pharaoh Necho in battle. He was wounded, fatally wounded. He goes back to Jerusalem. He dies, but he had chosen his son Jehoahaz to be king after him. Now, he was not his firstborn. His firstborn, he considered too evil, too irresponsible, too just did not want him as king. So he picks his second king. He becomes king. However, Pharaoh Necho has now gotten control over Judah, and he doesn't want him to be king. So after three months, he deposes him, he takes him to Egypt, and he dies there. He then puts in his brother, Jehoiakim, another son of Josiah, who in all instances probably would have been king, but um, he now installs him as king. He is tremendously evil. Rabbinic sources talk about how he had incestuous relationships with, with a lot of his family members, how he did horrible things and was just really an all-around totally, totally bad person. He ruled for 11 years, though, and first of all, under Pharaoh, he was pretty much a vassal state. Uh, Judah was pretty much a vassal state at that time, but then Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon conquers Egypt, and so he oversees it. Now, so long as Jehoiakim did what he wanted him to, he pretty much left him alone, takes tribute, and all these kinds of things. However, things go along, and Jehoiakim, after 11 years, he dies. His son, Josiah's grandson, 
Jehoiah Chin, it doesn't help that their names all sound alike, um, he becomes king. Now, he only rules in Jerusalem for three months. Uh, for some reason, Nebuchadnezzar did not want the son of this former king to rule, so he goes to Jerusalem. He takes all of the utensils out of the temple, plus he takes the entire royal family, the king, the queen mother, everybody out of the palace, plus 3,000 others, the cream of the crop, the best of the land. And Daniel also is taken at that time to Babylon. Now, Jehoiachin, um, kind of interesting, uh, just to jump ahead quite a bit in our story, he is put in prison, although sources say it wasn't a, a really horrible imprisonment, but still he was he was in prison for 37 years, and that he did repent, and at the end of that time, he is released and honored um, and lives a very peaceful rest of his life. However, Back in Judah, another king comes to power, appointed by Nebuchadnezzar, and this is Zedekiah. Zedekiah is a third son of Josiah. He was only 11 years old, 10 or 11 years old when his father died. It is 11 or 12 years later. He's a young man, and he is now a king. Um, he periodically asked Jeremiah for advice. He never pays any attention to it. Then he ignores him. Then goes back and forth. He's really a lousy king. He's evil. He does not follow God. He doesn't do what God wants him to do. He tries to go behind Nebuchadnezzar's back and get help from Egypt. That does not work out. Nebuchadnezzar hears about it, says, that's it. This is over. He goes to Jerusalem and completely, actually one of his generals does most of the work, uh, completely destroys it. Um, Zedekiah is taken to judgment before Nebuchadnezzar. First of all, his king, his sons are slaughtered before his eyes. His eyes are put out, and he is taken to Babylon, where he dies in exile. Now, during this time, Jeremiah the prophet is preaching, and uh, the people are not in a very good position. Now, here's where the three books of Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Obadiah fit in. Jeremiah starts preaching during the reign of the good king Josiah. He preaches all the way through the final four kings and even after the land was conquered by Babylon. Now, he could have lived a very comfortable life in Babylon because he told the people that they should surrender, they should submit to God's judgment. Um, the Babylonian army thought very favorably, of course, of him, but he chose to stay with the captives. And they, in turn, did not listen any better than they did before. Before they were conquered, he said, don't go to Egypt. They decided to go to Egypt, and he went with them, though, and he died there. He wrote Lamentations after the fall of Jerusalem. Now, Obadiah, we aren't exactly sure when it was written. There's a very strong likelihood that it was written at this same time, but we're not sure exactly of the date, but we do know the circumstances, if not exactly at this time, they were very similar when it was a time when the people of Edom, who were literally brothers to the Jews, this was Esau, 
uh, Jacob's brother, his descendants, how when Judah came under judgment, and again, we don't know whether it was this one or an earlier one, but they, um, they didn't help at all. They harassed the fugitives. They were really quite horrible. And God says, enough of that. He does not at all approve of what they did. We'll talk about this a little bit more later, but uh, that's where Obadiah fits in. The theme, though, is the same in all these books. How do we act when God is judging his people and their world is falling apart? Now, during this time, the leaders should have warned their people, but they didn't. And this is something that um, I, I want to do some some um, articles on my website about this because it's really, really serious. Because again and again, Jeremiah and the other prophets have done this also, and will continue to talk about how the leaders, though the people were really religious, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. In Jeremiah 50, verse 6, it says, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. Jeremiah 6.13 says, from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? And no, they weren't. Keep in mind, it was a very religious time of feel-good religion and false promises when they should have been calling people to repentance. And it is obvious the application to us today. We need to take seriously our walk before God. Instead, what the people did, what the leaders did, what the priests and the false prophets did is they asked for miracles and they condoned sins. But God could not ignore his standards. And ultimately, Lamentations tells us what happened, where it sums it up by saying, Jerusalem has sinned greatly and so become unclean. She did not consider her future, her fall was astounding. The application for all of us, we need to consider our future. We need to constantly be measuring ourselves against God's word and making corrections as we go along. Part of that is learning from these books. In the midst of the unraveling of their world, how should a believer act? Because, of course, it isn't just their world that was unraveling, but many of us have challenging situations in our personal lives, and our world is certainly experiencing some unraveling. So in changes, in challenges, big and small, let's learn from those who went before us. Now, in looking at these books, I've broken it down into five different groups with various responses that we can learn from. The first one, group number one, situation number one, is those not guilty of sins that lead to judgment, those who suffer because of the sins of others. Two, those called to speak God's word at times of challenge and crisis. Three, guilty or not, how to act when you're under judgment. Four, how to not act when someone else is under judgment. And five, how to respond to the messages of modern day so-called prophets, because everybody's got something to say when hard times come along. Now, situation number one, 
What about people caught up in sufferings they didn't cause? We see this in the story of Jeremiah, in the story of the Rechabites. And of course, this is something that happens all over in our world. There are always others who fit into this category. But we're told the Rechabite story, and it is instructive. They were a group of people, an ethnic group, that fled to Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar's army invaded. But they still held to their standards. Jeremiah calls some in, sets some wine before them. Now, there was nothing wrong with that, no prohibitions overall against drinking wine, but they refused to drink it. And here's how they explain it. They say, We have obeyed everything our forefather, Jonadab, son of Rechab, commanded us. Neither we nor our, nor our wives nor our sons and daughters have ever drunk wine, nor built houses to live in, or had vineyards, fields, or crops. We have lived in tents and have fully obeyed everything our father, Jonadab, commanded us. A little more about them. They were a peaceful people who followed God. They didn't bother anybody. Their entire life, though, was uprooted when the armies came. They were not responsible for any of the evil and the judgment that they were caught up in. So how did they respond when troubles come? And Let's face it, in our lives, sometimes things happen that we aren't responsible for. They're still horrible, but how, how did they respond? This is really, their example's fantastic. They didn't whine or complain or throw away their convictions. They continued to serve God in the ways they always had. For them, it was to not, to not drink wine. Now, it's not that particular action that made them outstanding, but that they stayed true to what they promised to do, which was what God commended them for and why he used them as an example. Unlike, and he's making this big contrast, how Judah had promised to serve God and they didn't. Now, how did God respond to that faithfulness? Remember, in those days, your heritage was the greatest reward possible. And they got the promise that, here's what what God says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, Jonadab, son of Rechab, will never fail to have a descendant to serve me. But what about us? What application can we learn from this? There are many instances where we suffer from the sins of others where we're not responsible for the troubles that happen to us. In our personal, our national, financial, family, church, there are many areas of life where we honestly may not do anything that causes the troubles that come. Some problems are self-imposed, but many aren't. So how do we act when we don't deserve what is happening to us? Keep doing what you know you're supposed to do in serving God, keeping in mind Micah 6.8, doing justice, loving mercy and kindness, walking humbly with your God. Don't be mean to others just because you are hurting. Continue to fulfill your calling. If you can't do it one way, do it another online gives us so many opportunities. The internet, what I'm doing right now, age, health, location, finances, permission from others, none of it matters online. You can do really anything you want to do for the Lord if you've got a computer and an internet connection. And you don't even have to own one. You can go to the library and use one. Whatever, you can do significant things for the Lord. 
Never allow yourself to think or say, but so-and-so or this or that situation made me do something, or, well, they wouldn't let me do something. That is never, ever true. You always have a choice in how to respond. I don't know what your calling is. I don't know what the ways you might want to serve God, but whatever it is, jump in and do it. Now, realize, too, that whatever you're going through, it's just a test. And do you truly believe what you say you believe, that God is sovereign, that he's in control? It's easy to say that when things go surprisingly well, but it's much harder to say when dreadful things happen that we don't deserve, or when we see things happen to people that it doesn't seem like they deserve. Reality is that it may be true that you or the person you see suffering did nothing to deserve a bad thing that is happening to them. But that doesn't mean that God isn't at work or in charge. Once again, remember Job. His trials were, in reality, the result of God honoring him above all humanity for his righteousness. You never know why God is giving you or another person the trial you're going through. Pray for peace and trust for yourself and others. Today, I think about, on praying for others, all the people who are suffering because of the various climate disasters that are going on now. I live in Ventura, California, and for this present moment in time, we are incredibly blessed with 70 to 80 degree weather. But I know many of my brothers and sisters not too far away are suffering in temperatures over 100 degrees. Some of them have air conditioning, some don't. Pray for people. Keep in mind, though, that in every trial, as always, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says. So this verse, though this verse is always taken out of context, ultimately, we do have a future and a hope. It may not be fulfilled on this earth, but the resolution of whatever the trial is, the resolution of it is assured. Situation number two, those called to speak God's word at a time of crisis. Jeremiah was in this situation. God called him to preach to a nation that would mock him, ignore him, try to murder him. But God's call was on him. And though at times he tried to ignore it, he couldn't. He said, your words just burn in my heart and I have to say something. He kept preaching the message from God, no matter who or what was against him or what they did to him. He encouraged those going through the captivity. His letter in Jeremiah 29 to the captives in Babylon is great advice. And this is something, I go back and read this chapter and see how you can encourage others with it. Now, let me just read some of it to you. In Jeremiah 29, starts out in verse 4 saying, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all who I, car- I carried. God did this. There may have been a secondary means, but God did it. I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. 
Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I've not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord said, because they were prophesying, oh, it's the captivity is going to be over real soon. Don't worry about anything. You'll soon go back to Israel. The Lord says, no. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, the application and challenges to us, when things are difficult, don't immediately look for a way to get out of it. Always ask, what does God want me to do today in this situation that pleases him? Settle down, seek peace, whatever situation you are in. Now, captives have a unique opportunity under constraining circumstances of all sorts because you never know who is watching, and how it might affect them. We know some of the famous stories, Corey Ten Boom, Bonhoeffer, but there are many other captives who've suffered for the Lord and who now in heaven are just rejoicing greatly. They're unnamed and unknown, but God helped them be faithful in their situations. Also, look for God's mercies in the midst of trials because they will always come. Lamentations 3, the whole chapter, in fact, is such a challenge and encouragement. But after the fall of Jerusalem, Jeremiah sums it up by saying, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. There are lessons we will never learn without going through hardship. Visions of God we will never have without them. This little saying, you'll never know that God is all you need until he's all you have. It's really true. And in a tiny way, my husband and I experienced that when most of our earthly possessions were stolen. We were moving back from the East Coast. We had a a giant U-Haul truck, and it was stolen. Everything that we had was everything we owned was in it. I mean, from toothbrushes to our clothes to, you know, furniture, heirloom, everything was stolen and the insurance would not pay for it. Um, And that was absolutely devastating. But on the other hand, it was incredibly freeing and it was really wonderful to be able to say, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then another verse where it says in Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I had the absolutely incredible privilege of experiencing that. Um, 
I almost died after a surgery a couple of years ago. Uh, they called the code blue on me. It was like something out of a movie. All these people are working on me and doing all kinds of stuff. And I was kind of vaguely aware of it. But I had such extraordinary, extraordinary peace. And after it was all over, the, um, the ER doctor said, you know, he said, we almost lost you. And I said, I know. You know, but but it was good. I was able to say that I I've been through the valley of just the shadow of death, but the peace was so overwhelming. I knew the Lord was with me, and if I hadn't experienced that, I would have never known the peace that came with it. Now we don't seek out these sorts of things, and there's been many times when I've been in difficult situations that I failed, totally failed, totally blew it, did not learn from it, but learning or failing, God is faithful. And sometimes we can learn priceless lessons from times of suffering. Now, situation number four, a few words on how not to act from the book of Obadiah. Once again, we aren't sure of the exact timing of the writing, but we are sure of the situation. Either at this time or earlier, when God was punishing Israel, their brothers, the Edomites acted in this way. Here's what it says from Obadiah. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. Instead of helping, they were being horrible. Never, ever gloat or rejoice when a fellow believer is undergoing a difficult time, whether they deserve it or not. God hates that. And because of the Edomites' behavior, here's what God says, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You will live in the clefts of the rock and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like eagles and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down. They were destroyed, the Nabataeans, another um, uh, Arab group came in, totally wiped them out. You see the ruins of where they lived in um, the beautiful images in uh, Jordan. You saw them, and if you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, you saw one of their um, one of their buildings. And Edom today, it's nothing, <laughs> and its lands have merely become a tourist stop. Now, situation number five: How to respond? to the so-called prophets today because there's always people out there who want to tell you how to live, how to respond, why this is happening. There are many self-proclaimed quote-unquote prophets who hold conferences and meetings. They pronounce things over people, whether somebody wants them to or not. They give others a word from the Lord that may or may not agree with anything in the Bible. There are churches who designate prophets as those who receive directions from God that they can pass on to others. What do we make of all this? Is this where we turn when there are problems? Now, a few thoughts that I have on this follow, and in addition, there are links to additional articles, comments, a blog, some other information on the website. But I will tell you up front, the situation is a big no. Be careful. Um, I'm doing all of this to really warn you not to be deceived. To start out with, let's review what is a prophet. In its most simple form, a prophet is one who speaks for God, 
who delivers his message. This calling is not to be taken lightly. In the Old Testament, often the message was a reminder to return to obedience to God based on prior revelation from God and prior promises to him. That's what the prophets that we've been studying did. They reminded people what they promised God and how they were supposed to live. It could include predictions of future events, but most likely it was just the near future. There were it was uh, there were true as well as false prophets then, and um, a typical false prophet is described in Isaiah thirty nine and ten, where the people wanted prophets to tell them pleasant things. However, most of the prophets' messages, the true prophets, was not one people wanted to hear. And this is what Isaiah says. He says, for these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. As we saw in the book of Jeremiah, there were plenty of false prophets who were willing to do just that, who told people, oh, the captivity is going to be over soon. No, the Babylons won't really conquer us completely. No, it's going to be all right. Just live how you, how you want to live. That Jerusalem would not be, be destroyed. Their pleasant lies were all wrong. In doing that, in telling people something, and when it didn't happen, they failed the most basic criteria for a prophet. And here it is. Because God had decreed judgment, their positive words were a lie, which the people would discover when it didn't happen. They weren't freed quickly. Um, Captivity did come. And this goes back to Deuteronomy 18.18, where it says, where God's speaking, he says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, he's talking to Moses, from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them every Everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I've not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is the message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. Now, it's quite simple to tell a true prophet from a false one. 100% accuracy is required. But what about today? In all of my research and in the um, many of the articles that you can look up, again, on my website that go into this in detail, there's no distinction given in the New Testament that the criteria for correct prophecy should be any different. But what about these prophecies today? By their own statistics, and again, this is this the site. The exact citations are in the articles. I put them online so you can see where I got them. The groups that promote modern-day quote-unquote prophecy say that probably, this is their statistic, probably only 10 to 65 percent of what they prophesy comes true. And a lot of what they come true, other articles say it's kind of the same way psychics do it. They pick up clues from people and different things like that. 
and none of the really sensational prophecies by prominent prophets have come to pass. And once again, you can read them online, and there's just all kinds of outrageous things that they have prophesied in the recent past. So what should you do? Say you're somebody that wants to be a prophet, or you consider yourself a prophet today, or or you're having problems with the statistics that your correctness is so low. Well, you can go to a conference. And I looked up online, and there, are just dozens and dozens and dozens of conferences that will help you theoretically become a better prophet. Um, I'll just read you the description of one of them, Advanced Prophetic Conference, Purifying the Prophetic, Advanced Prophetic At Advanced Prophetics 2023, you'll unlock profound insights, receive impartation from renowned prophetic voices, and encounter an atmosphere charged with revelation and transformation. This conference is meticulously designed to equip you with the tools, wisdom, and discernment to elevate your prophetic journey to new heights. I I can't even read the other ones because they're, they're so... Uh, to me, so disturbing, uh, the presumption that people could be putting together these conferences to make you better at what, when God touched someone and they were his prophet, that person spoke 100% accurately. The biblical prophets, in contrast, were called by God, and frequently they did not want to respond because they knew that the life of a prophet was almost guaranteed to be one where people hated him, didn't believe him, and sometimes it ended in a really gruesome death. They did not, not one that we can see in the Bible ever got wealthy from his calling. They did not prophesy in any places in the Bible to tell people how to get rich. You couldn't buy spiritual gifts. And I would think that, oh, you know, there's such a clear example in Acts 8, where Simon the uh, magician offered to buy the gift of bestowing the Holy Spirit on people. And that to me is so scarily similar to these prophetic conferences where you pay all this money and you go to this great person and they can show you how to do whatever uh, from Peter. But this is what he was told, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Now, in addition to failing the criteria for accuracy, many of the so-called prophecies then and today simply do not agree with the revealed word of God. In Jeremiah's time, the people were told previously in the laws of Moses and the covenant they made with God what would happen if they did not clearly obey what God told them to do and what they promised to do. The false prophets so ignored this and told people that God would protect them, would bless them, would do all this stuff, regardless of how they acted. Their audience should have known from the content of their messages from the start that they were wrong because their messages did not agree with previously revealed truth based on this reminder. Remember, God doesn't change. In Numbers twenty three nineteen, it says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being, that he should change his mind. Does he not? Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill all the things God said in the Pentateuch, in the covenant that we've talked about, that they had hundreds of years ago, that they had written down, that they were reminded of again and again and again? God did not change his mind on any of that. And it's the same today. Nowhere in the Bible 
our total earthly wealth or healing promised. We all are going to die one way or another unless Jesus comes first. Now, God can do whatever, whenever, in his mercy. He can heal. He can delay the time of our death. He pulled me back from a time when I almost died. That was totally unexpected. They didn't know what caused it. They didn't know if it could happen at any time again. But my heart just suddenly gave out. And fortunately, I was in the hospital, in a hotel, in a hotel room, in a hospital room with some people that um, I, I looked up at them and I said, I'm going to pass out now. <laughs> I can remember that. And <clears throat> they immediately called the crash team. If that had happened at home, I would be with Jesus now. So God can do whatever. He can delay whatever. But we don't have any guarantees. And he doesn't tell any earthly prophet about this for us. Promises of prosperity or validity for what they do, they're often just totally wrenched out of context. Um, They'll pull out verses from Job's friends that are um, often misquoted. One, another one that's misquoted all the time is Isaiah 53 5 where it says by his stripes we are healed and they use it to refer to physical healing that is not the context of the verse it refers to Christ's death on the cross healing us from the penalty of sin not physical healing in this life also too, the command do not despise prophecies there's a really good extended explanation of this on one of the articles in my website but other passages that encourage the early church to evaluate the prophecies keep in mind the new testament was still being written and they were to evaluate what was in it to see if it was going to make it finally into God's word. These commands were given as the canon of scripture was being formulated. It does not, again, have anything to do with what people say today. When the New Testament was finished, direct revelation from God was over. Also, there are no new prophets today with the same authority as the biblical prophets. There are no new revelations that can contradict Scripture. False claims about new revelations have been the fa- they have been the foundation of cults such as the Mormon Church and Jehovah Witnesses. Each one claimed new revelations in addition to the Bible, which they've added or. T- whether or they may have um, they've added things to the Bible, such as the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants and the similar books with the Mormon Church, the Jehovah Witnesses have modified different things in the Bible. But the Bible as we have it is the true and reliable Word of God. Please see my series on how we got our Bible. It answers many questions that people have on how or if we can trust it, and I think you'll find it very, very useful. Now, what to do? Know God's Word well. His character, his plans for all of us. Good times or bad, that's what we need to do. The Old Testament was clear to the people then. The New Testament is clear to us today. We simply need to read it and study it. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness in our relationship to him and his word. Don't go looking for a quote-unquote special word, whatever it might be. God will give you the encouragement, the wisdom, the guidance on how to live if you are daily and deeply in his word. As to the people who do the prophesying, 
Uh, this it was a really good quote in one of the articles um, from a book called The New Charismatics, where it says, a leader's authority does not extend beyond the word of God. You want to, on anybody you listen to, be a Berean. These were the people that it said they received the word with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true in Acts 17.11. Do that with every leader that you have, every teacher that you have. They should only guide you in your understanding of the word not in claiming to get a new revelation from God just for you. Now, how this breaks down in practice, perhaps you see a friend who's um, doing something that you don't think they should do or whatever, or they have a question uh, about how they should act in something. The way I always try to answer it, and if I don't know, I'll say, give me some time, is what does the Word of God say? I'll say, well, what does the Word of God say about this? Let me look up what the Bible says about this. Let's then talk about that. Never let me get a word for you. That's so wrong. And I, you know, in check out what I say. Don't take my word for it. Um, I try to back up everything with scripture, but check it out. Um, Look at the Bible for yourself. Do not put yourself, I strongly recommend, just don't put yourself in any situation where you would interact with modern day so-called prophets. And if somebody thinks they've decided that they know God's word for you, God's will for you, they have it. It's between you and the Lord. Again, we can encourage one another, we can challenge one another based on God's word, but nobody gets a direct line from God um, that, you know, that anything that goes against the Bible that they're supposed to tell somebody else. Now some final applications. When we find ourselves in a challenging time by God's will, and we always will, here's what we need to do. Take responsibility for our actions. Don't blame others. Keep doing what God's called you to do, no matter what. Always try to be an example to encourage others. When others have trouble, don't judge and don't gloat. And remember that finally, as the closing of Obadiah 21 reminds us, the kingdom will be the Lord's. An eternal kingdom of no more sorrow or sadness or pain that will never fall apart is coming and we can be sure of it. Let's act like it as we wait for it. That's all for now. Please check out the show notes and other materials at www.bible805.com. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Pran, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.